right. Everybody doing good today? All right. I hope so. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, there's some good questions uh, that people uh, pose there, and uh, we're going to kind of try to unpack those a little bit over the next few weeks. And, uh, you know, and, and asking questions is a good thing. I think sometimes we wonder, hey, is it okay to ask? Yes. You know, I think it's important for us to do that. And, uh, and I, I, but I want to touch on something last night for the men that were here last night. Man, thank you all for being here. We had an incredible group of men last night uh, and young men that were here for our crawfish uh, bowl. And, uh, and let me tell you, the truth of God's word was shared and uh, some powerful testimony was shared. Uh, Chris Garman shared, he did a great job. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah did a great job of uh, kind of teaching and it was so good. And if you guys would give it up for those guys for uh, pouring out their heart. And uh, we just had a great time. And, uh, and just a really good food. The teams did a great job. It's always fun to do stuff like that. And, and, uh, and I'm just thankful that we have, a, we have men that want to be men of God. And so that's a, that's a powerful thing. And so, hey, we're going to look at our questions. And uh, today, the first question uh, that we're going to hit on is this one, is the Bible reliable? I think it's a good question to ask because so much of the other questions kind of, you know, hey, if the Bible is not reliable, if it's not accurate, if it's not true, then what does it matter, Right. And, and so the thing is, I think we have to ask that question, and uh, is it reliable? You know, is it accurate? Is it, is it true? You know, is it the Word of God? And I think there are times that uh, we like what the Word of God says, and we go, hey, I man, I like that, but we don't like some of the other things. And so we can often kind of go, you know, I don't know if I believe it because it says some things that maybe go against what we want. And there are often times whenever the, the Word of God will speak against something that we want or we desire or we like, and then all of a sudden we don't like it, you know? And so we can kind of give a little bit of pushback. Well, I'm not sure it's really true. I'm not really sure it's accurate. I'm not sure, really sure it's, uh, it's the, really the Word of God. And, you know, and then we'll, you know, we'll try to find some way to justify our sin is what we often do. We want to justify how we feel and how, you know, what we want to do. We, so we don't want anything that's going to speak against that. And so oftentimes we'll say, hey, well, let me discredit that or say, hey, I don't believe that to be true. So I want us to look at, uh, you know, we talk about following the science in our culture and nobody really does that, it seems like, right? And so we talk about, hey, we got to follow the science, all right? Well, we're going to follow the, the science. We'll follow the facts uh, because I don't want you guys thinking, all right, well, this is all about faith. Faith is what makes God smile. I'll be clear about that. Faith is what moves the heart of God. But I'll just tell you this. God gives us plenty of facts. And if you're looking for facts, if you're a skeptic, if you're watching online, you're a skeptic, God gives us plenty of facts. So I think we have to look at the facts, if you will, the historical you know, uh, data that's there and go, hey, you know what? It is true. So I wanted to hit this. Should we even ask questions about God? That's another question. Should we even ask questions? Some people are like, hey, I don't, you know, I don't want to question God. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking questions of God. Jesus modeled that. Whenever we, we just got through celebrating Easter, right? We got through celebrating the cross of Christ. We got through celebrating all of Holy Week. And so Jesus is before the Father. He says, Father, is there another way? Can this cup pass from me? He's asking a question. He's asking God to bless people. He's asking God to heal people. You know, and he's doing his thing. And if we look throughout Scripture, we see it over and over where God, you know, used people like that. So the answer is yes. I think it's important for us to ask questions, you know, that we want to own something. We want to know something. We want to believe something. So we do ask questions. We kind of unpack that. So I think it's important for us to work through what we believe, you know, what we believe to be true and what we believe is factual. And so I think it's, it's part of our faith. You know, it's not blind faith. It's not stupid faith. It's faith based on what God says, what God did, and, and the historical evidence that's there. You know, I, I think back to Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I am the son of man. And he tells everybody that. And he, and he literally did miracles to give evidence 
to the people, right? So they could say, hey, is this man really from God? But yet he would perform miracles. And they would say, hey, there's the evidence. He's really from God. He would break bread. He would break fish. And he would feed 5,000 just men. So really probably about 15,000 people. And, and people would go, hey, man, he really is the son of God. And they would follow him the next day. And Jesus kind of rebuked them. He said, you're just looking for food. You're just looking for another miracle. Because they did. They wanted the evidence, right? And so whenever we see the evidence, and, and again, we don't see where people go, hey, he really didn't do that. Nobody fights back or pushes back against that because they saw the evidence that he was the son of God. They watched him hang on a cross. Even the Roman soldier would say, truly, this man was the son of God. He saw what happened, right? The evidence was there. And so if you want to say, hey, you know, I'm not really sure, well, then look at the evidence and look at the, you know, look at the data that's there. Look at the, the information that's there. But don't sit there and say, hey, I don't believe because you're trying to justify your lifestyle or you're trying to justify something that you don't want God to speak against. That, so we have to look at God's word. And so God's not afraid of our questions. Jesus asked questions as did most of the great leaders throughout the Bible. They asked questions of God. So not only did Jesus ask, but we could go back for the, to the beginning of Scripture. We could follow it all the way through. And there were times whenever they would say, God, how, how much longer will you wait? God, how much longer will you uh, put off? You know, how much longer will you put up with this evil? How much long? And they're asking these questions. So the great leaders of the Bible would ask God questions. And I think there are times we have to go, you know, God, you know, God, how much longer will I have to go through this? God, what are you trying to teach me in this? So asking questions is a healthy thing. It's a good thing. So is the Bible reliable accurate? Is, is, is it accurate? And I think uh, what we would often say was, you know, it, you know, I hear, and you even saw it in the, uh, the bumper video there where it talked about, hey, uh, aren't there contradictions in the Bible? And there are people that would swear up and down, hey, there are contradictions, but archaeological digs continue to prove the contradictions wrong. And we'll look at that today. But our question, I think, we, you know, hey, is it reliable? Is it accurate? Is it true? And I think most of us realize we, we read it and we go, man, hey, this is good stuff. This is a good reading. But it's not a history book. It's his story, but it's not necessarily a history book. It's not like it's meant to be a history book, but it is his story. It's God's story of how much he loves us. He wants a relationship with us. And he's been pursuing us from the garden, right, all the way to the end of the Bible. We see that God... There's this theme that runs through there that he loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He cares about us. We just celebrated the fact that he loved the whole world. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So if we believe that passage, you know, number one, you need to go back and say, well, do I believe the Bible at all? Do I believe that the word of God is really the word of God? Do I believe the Bible? And there's so many ways that the enemy loves to make us have division because some people say well I don't like this translation or I don't like this translation I'll just tell you this if you'll read a Bible I don't care if it's New American Standard NLT NIV whatever you know you just read the Bible you apply the Bible I promise you it'll make a difference in your life but don't use the argument that I don't like this version or that version to say hey I'm not going to read it what you do is you dig into it man you listen to it you apply it you try to live it out and I'm telling you you'll see the blessings of that and so again, Scripture says all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us. So God wants to teach me how to be a godly man, to be a better husband, how to be a better dad, how to be a better pastor, be a better friend, a better worker, a better leader. So God wants to do it. So all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So God wants us to, he wants us to know the truth 
He wants us to be set free from the lies of the enemy that are constantly attacking our mind, that are constantly bombarding us. And the enemy is trying to plant seeds of doubt. He's trying to do everything he can to cause you to struggle in your faith. That's what he does. That's what the enemy does. And so God's word helps us to realize what is truth, right? And, and how to do what is, what is right. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. If we're reading God's word and we're allowing, and that's the thing, whenever I read God's word, it reads me. And it reveals to me, maybe my attitude is not that of Christ. It reveals to me the issues in my life. Where is my trust? Where are, where, you know, why am I afraid of this? Jeremiah did an incredible job last night talking about fear. Fear is that area of your life where you don't fully trust God. You know, and, and we've got to be able to say, God, I don't want to walk in fear. I want to walk in confidence and hope. I want to walk in truth. And I want to, I want to be led by your spirit. And, and so the more that we understand that, you know, that God's word is true and it's reliable, then this passage comes to life for us. And look at the next one here, verse 17. It said, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So God's going to use his word to prepare me. He's going to use his, God, his word to prepare you to do every good work. And that's not just, hey, what we do here on Sunday. That's everything that you will do in your life that is going to bring him glory and bring him honor. And so God uses his word. So if we don't know his word, we don't spend time in his word, then we're not going to even really know you know, how to, how to unpack it and how to, how to apply that to our life. And so coming in, and I'm going to just say this, coming in here and just getting whatever I give you on Sunday is not enough for your, your daily sustenance. Every one of us need daily time in God's word. We need the bread of life being poured into our life. We need to apply that truth. We need to, if it's just a devotion, I don't care if it's one verse, but something, something to sustain us, something to teach us, something to equip us for every good work. And so we've got to, we've got to be prepared for that. Now, the, the cool thing about the Bible, it's, uh, it's a unique text. It's a unique writing. It was written over a 1,600-year period by 40 different authors from very different backgrounds. It would take God inspiring them to make it all work together the way that it does. It, it, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of work. It says, yet it's a, it uh, has this unmistakable thread of continuity that runs through it from the beginning to the end. And, and I think most of us would agree with that, man. You, you go to the beginning, you read all of it. You know, and, and I'll just say this. Uh, I was having a conversation with a guy last night. You can pick and choose verses to, uh, you know, to justify whatever you want to do. But what we have to do is we have to look at the thread of Scripture from beginning to end, the full counsel of God's Word. You know, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's all of it. It's not like this verse and this verse that I really like. That's what I'm going to build my theology on. That's what I'm going to build my faith on. That's not how it works. It has to be the Word of God. And, and so what often happens is you have cults and you have false teachers that will take a word here, a word here, a scripture here, a scripture here, and they'll build a teaching that is really, it's a false teaching with pieces of the scripture, not the full counsel of God's Word. So that's why it's important for us to know what does God really say in His Word. We need to understand that. We need to know what it says. And so from the beginning to the end, we see the picture of that. So the Bible is without question the most published book in the history of the world. It's the number one bestseller and has been for many, many, many years. Uh, I mean, billions, uh, they, I think five to seven billion uh, copies have been printed. So billions have been printed and millions continue to be sold each year. So five to seven billion copies have been put out. And think about this. We, we have countries in the world right now that it is illegal to have a copy of the Bible. It'll cost you your life. You can't, have a, you can't have a track, like a gospel track. We went to the Biscuits game the other night with one of the life groups, and, man, we had a blast. It was great, perfect weather for a baseball game. 
Now, the Biscuits got their brakes beat off, but it was still a good game. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and it was good fellowship. And so we're walking, and this lady walks up to me, and she goes, Sir, could I give you a gospel track? And I took it, and I said, Yeah. And, uh, and she goes, Hey, we're just, we're just passing these out. And I said, Okay, cool. And so I walk in, I start reading through it. And, you know, here's the thing. You know, in America, we can do that, which is, praise God, we can. And if I'd have been a lost person, I could have sat down, and I could have got enough of God's word to know how to be saved. And so she's taking her time to share the gospel, to share the good news with someone as they're walking into a ball game. And, you know, and she said, hey, just read it whenever you're sitting down. And, and anyway, so, you know, so there's people that maybe they took that in, they sat down, and they begin to read it. So, you know what? I can have peace with God. I can have a relationship with God. And it's the gospel. It's exactly what we taught last week. And, and so here's the thing. In, a, in certain countries, it would cost her her life. There are missionaries that will give their life. They'll lay their life on the, on the line to go and share the good news. And here we are in America. I mean, we, we won't even share with our close friends or our family sometimes. And we've got to be willing to say, God, you know, it is truth. And God, I want to share it with everybody and anybody that I can. And so billions and even millions have been sold. And, and even now, millions of people connect to the Bible through the Internet and uh, Bible apps each day. Like most of you guys probably have a version on your phone or a lot of people do. And if you don't, you ought to download it. Uh, you, can get, you can watch podcasts on there. You can do Bible studies. You can do devotions. You can just read the Bible. You can even have it read to you. You can be driving down the road and just listening to the Word of God. You can pick whatever translation you like, you know, and, and just go, you know, God, I just want to soak it up. I want to take it in, and I want to live it out, and I want to apply it. And so it's, it's, there's, a, just a, there's so many copies of it out there, and it's not about ha- having a copy. It's about applying the copy, you know, applying the truth to our life. And, and so millions of, of, of copies are out there, and like I said, millions of people are, are dialing in. So the historical evidence, and so I want us to kind of touch base on this. If you're one of those who, you're, you're a fact person, you need the facts. You know, some people uh, go, hey man, I just believe, you know, and they, they're ready to jump off, I believe. And then some people are like, you know, I need to know more. Hey, is this really true? Is this Bible really accurate? Is it really God's Word? And, you know, and, uh, you know I've heard there's contradictions, and so uh, usually, like I said, the people that say they're contradictions are historians who... You'll find something that they say, the Bible says this, but we can't find it in anything else. But archaeology continues to prove that the Bible is accurate and that they're wrong. You know, and so, so let's kind of look at a, a few of these things, the historical evidence is there. If you want to just look at the facts. The Bible is not a book of history, but it, when it mentions history, it's historically accurate. Over and over and over through the years, it continues to be proven right. Laurie and I are kind of I guess uh, geeks, weirdos, whatever. But we sit around, we watch a lot of documentaries uh, on anything and everything, on how America was built, uh, how the West was settled. And then last night, we're, we're watching stuff on, uh, on the pharaohs. And uh, we're watching all these archaeological digs and pieces that they would find and how they would do scans and how they figure out you know, how this person died and all this kind of stuff, you know, thousands of years ago. And, uh, and so we, we kind of get into that. So whenever we start talking about the historical evidence that the Bible is accurate, it kind of excites me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm going, I mean, that's awesome. And, uh, and so there's, there's plenty of historical evidence that shows that the Bible is accurate and it's true. And so whenever we look at that, we need to understand the Bible is historically accurate. It's not a history book, but it is accurate. So the fact is, in the few cases where there have been contradictions, and there have been a few through the years, the biblical account and the historical record, archaeological discoveries continue to prove that the biblical account to be accurate. So if we were to look back, and there's some like the Hittites. You remember, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I can remember reading about the, the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Parasites and all that kind of stuff, just joking around about it. But there were the, the Hittites in there, 
And so historians would say, hey, well, the Bible talks about these Hittites, and there's not any Hittites you know, around. There's no archaeological find or anything like that. Around the turn of the century, they discovered a, a, the, the empire of the Hittites. All these years, hey, the Bible can't be accurate because it talks about the Hittites, and there's no Hittites. There's nobody. And they found not only their empire, but the cities that made it up, like 40 different cities that made up their empire. And so that was found around 1906 or something like that. And everybody's like, okay. So the Bible was accurate in what it was saying whenever it would name off these people. And then we get to like, uh, we get to Daniel chapter 5. It talks Belsh- about, about King Belshazzar, uh, however you say his name. Uh, yeah, you say it. There you go. And, uh, and so he, you know, is uh, named as the, in the Bible as the, as the ruler of the day there for Babylon. But the historians say, hey, well, listen, he wasn't the, he wasn't the ruler at that time. And then they find these three stones that kind of un- unpack it. And what happened is the, the guy who was the leader went off to fight a war. And he put Belshazzar in, in place to say hey, he would lead, which lined up with Scripture. Again, archaeological dig backs up what Scripture has said, right? And even last week, we were talking about Pontius Pilate a little bit. In that, and if you read the story or any of the Gospels where Pontius Pilate, you know, washes his hand of Jesus. He says, hey, this, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with this man. It's on you. It's on the people. And so Pontius Pilate was not in a lot of historical data that people could find. So they say, hey, listen, the whole gospel story can't be true because there's no Pontius Pilate. And then a few years ago, they found a stone. It's called the Pilate Stone. You can look it up or Google it. Not right now, but you can. And it talks about Pilate and uh, that he was the prefect, just like the scripture says, in the same dates that the Bible points out. But for years, people would say, hey, listen, there can't be any truth to this Bible because there's no Pontius Pilate, but yet they find the stone. It's a cornerstone of a building where it has his name, his office, and the dates that he was there. And so again, the archaeological digs continue to prove. So you would say that is what? Facts. That's archaeological facts or evidence that the Bible is historically accurate. And, and I'll just tell you this. The Bible has been under attack more than any other document ever ever there are dictators that do everything they can to burn it to destroy it to keep it from people just like we're talking about there are nations where you cannot have a copy of the scriptures so there's people that have fought to destroy it and it's oftentimes because it goes against what they want to do and and so the facts are there that the archaeological digs continue to prove this i love the statements of renowned jewish archaeologist nelson uh, gluick who discovered over 1500 biblical sites said that said this, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. What he's saying is it has confirmed every time. So here's a guy that has 1,500 different archaeological digs. says every one of them point to the evidence that the Bible is accurate. Nothing has said, hey, we have found this, and now we know that the Bible was wrong. So if you're looking for facts, I mean, that, that's a good one. So here's, here's another one. So the manuscript evidence. That's the historical evidence we're kind of talking about there. So the manuscript evidence would be the copies, if you would. You know, uh, because oftentimes we would say, well, you know, I'm not sure that the copies are right. They're accurate or whatever. And so the manuscript evidence that we look for, we say, hey, well, listen, we want to make sure that this is right. This is really the word of God. And I think that's a good thing. But the thing is, is we have plenty of evidence. And so like, you know, most other teachings are not questioned like the Bible is. There's no other evidence out there or there's no other, um, you know, teachings or manuscripts that are questioned like the Bible. Uh, even other, other religions or other false teachings out there, nobody questions them like they do the Bible. It's because it is the truth. And so like uh, Aristotle or, or Plato, you know, those are philosophers. And, 
And people never question whether or not what they said was accurate or what we have is what they said, right? You just don't see that. And, uh, and they had, I think it was 10 manuscripts. Aristotle put it, have just 10 manuscripts that uh, would kind of give evidence that these guys, what they said is what we have today. Like if you're in a philosophy class or something like that, that's what you would say, hey, this is what I've looked at and, and this is what they said and this is what we, you know, we teach or whatever. So nobody ever questions that, right? And so you would think, all right, with the Bible, so if we have, maybe if we have that many, uh, maybe we have 10, you know, then maybe people wouldn't question us or they wouldn't question the Bible, they wouldn't question the, the facts. Or maybe if we had maybe even more than that, maybe if we had 100, but what if, you know, what if we had 14,000 New Testament manuscripts? You would think there's no reason that people would question whether or not it's accurate, right? I mean, Aristotle and Plato only have 10, and nobody really questions the authenticity of it. But yet with the New Testament, there are 14,000 New Testament manuscripts that people can look at and go, man, this is accurate. But yet it stays under attack because it's living and active, because it's the Word of God. And the enemy is doing everything he can to come against the Word of God. There's two things that will last forever. The souls of men in a place called heaven or a place called hell and the Word of God. And so we need to know the Word of God. We need to build our life on the Word of God. It's a good foundation. So 14,000 New Testament manuscripts would give us, you would think, pretty good evidence. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls, I don't know if you guys have ever watched this, but we've watched that documentary as well. And, and again, it, it, it's the evidence. It's, it, they found these, and I think I've got it here in the caves of, of uh, yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the caves of Qumran in the desert, preserved for 2,000 years. And many of those scrolls contain fragments of the Bible. And, and in fact, the book of Isaiah was found completely intact. So the book of Isaiah, and the thing about the book of Isaiah is pointing towards Jesus. A lot of it is prophetic. It's pointing towards Christ. And it's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the one that's coming. And so if we go back and we look at all the evidence that's there, all the prophecies that are pointing towards Christ. And here's, here's the cool thing. Like the, the, the one that they found uh, there in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah, is, is pretty much what we have today. I mean, if we were to read Isaiah, it's what was there in, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So these old manuscripts give evidence, give facts, give proof that what we have is accurate. And so all of those are pointing towards Christ. Isaiah is pointing towards Jesus. So there, then we have what you would call the prophetical evidence as well. So these prophecies that are fulfilled, these prophecies that fulfill that say, you know what, Jesus is the Messiah. He's who he said he was. And so we can, we can look at some of these. So Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. The fact that, you know, that Isaiah would point to the Messiah and he would talk about how he would come in on, come in on a donkey. I mean, all these things are so many uh, you know, prophecies, he, you know, he would be born of a virgin, you know, all these things, where he would be born, you know, all these little details. And so there's, there's some mathematicians out there that have uh, done some cool stuff to go, hey, listen, if Jesus just fulfilled eight of them, like if he was born at the right place, he was born to the right kind of woman, he was born, you know, you know, in the right area, he was born at the right time and all these things. And so all these things, but if you took eight, just eight of the prophecies, if Jesus were to f- fulfill just eight of the prophecies, let me hit it again. One in ten octillion. That's the odds. Now, most of you guys wouldn't take that bet, right? Uh, if he was, hey, if that were the odds, just one in however many numbers, all those zeros, right? If, he ju- if Jesus would just fulfill eight, if he could just fulfill eight of them, you know, th- through time, through the right location, the right people, like all these things, if he could just fulfill eight of them, that would be the odds of it. But Jesus fulfilled over 300. I mean, if that is not evidence to go, hey, this is the hand of God. 
You know, and I, I think uh, somebody spoke here, and I can't remember who it was. It may have been Andre whenever he was talking about. It's kind of like if you were to go to the state of Texas, and you were able to reach down into, you know, a bowl that was as big as the state of Texas, and you, pick, you were able to pick out the one silver dollar in there that was marked, and it's like two foot or three foot deep with silver dollars, the whole state of Texas, and you're able to pick out that one, one. that's kind of what it's like. That's what it's like for Jesus to hit on all of them. And so, so I think it's important for us to understand that, you know, the, the prophetic uh, stuff is there. Uh, for the committed skeptic, there may never be enough proof. And I would just say this to anybody that's a skeptic. Say, well, you know, I just know if I, some people won't ever believe. You know, the Bible makes that clear. They're going to be a skeptic to the day they die, and they'll bust tail wide open. That's, that's, that's God. God gives you that choice, right? He didn't force himself on you. For the committed skeptic, there may never be enough proof. But for those who are genuinely seeking answers, if you're really seeking answers, if you really want the truth, the evidence is clear that Jesus is who he said he was, and he did what, he, what the records say he did. So if you really want to base it on, if you want to follow the science, if you really want to follow the facts, then the proof is there. You say, well, Mike, it's about faith. It is about faith. But like I said, God does things so that we know, you know what, he's who he says he is. And, and so it's obvious, it's obvious that God's word is reliable and accurate. But what does that mean for me? I think for some of us in the room, we would say, all right, I believe this to be a historically accurate document. I believe it to be a reliable manuscript. I believe it to be a, a prophetic word fulfilled in Christ, the Messiah. I believe that the New Testament is Jesus, you know, the evidence that Jesus was who he says he was. And I believe that he lived out his life. I believe that he died on the cross. And you can believe, you know, I believe this stuff. So we can say it's reliable. We can say it's accurate. But what does that mean for us? I mean, how does it change my life, right? I mean, how does it impact who I am? And how does it affect me as a believer, as a person, as a husband, as a dad, as a wife, or a mom, or whatever it might be? So how does that affect me? You might say, well, I've got this knowledge that Mike talked about today, but what good does that do, right? And so let's, let's look at this. I think there's some good stuff here. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. And so scriptures make it pretty clear, hey, man, you know, if you want to do the right thing, let me tell you what you ought to do. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So they take... What, what, what scripture is saying, hey man, for those that hang around with sinners, man, it's not a good place to be. But for those who, walk, who literally want to walk and experience God, man, they meditate on the word of God day and night. Meditate is thinking on something over and over and over. Any of you guys in here know how to worry? Anybody in here ever get worried? Raise your hand. Be honest. Really get honest with God. All right, a lot of you guys know how to worry, right? That is negative meditation. Did y'all know that? That's neg- you're thinking on something over and over and over that is negative. What God's Word is saying is meditate on something that is life-giving, that is life-changing, that is, that is accurate, that's reliable. But to think on God's Word, His promises, His truth. And so as you're going through your life, I mean, you're going through your day, you're thinking, it says morning and night, right? Think on these things, meditate on these things, meditate on the promises of God, the truth of God, the love of God. And, and so it says day and night to do that. It says they're like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season their leaves never wither and, and they and all they and they do they prosper in all they do and so what scripture is saying there's man if we meditate on those things and we think on the things of god over and over morning and night and we're walking through our day man we're 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 secure we're solid we're like trees planted by the riverbank we've got nutrition we've got the we've got the water that we need that living water that's flowing in us and flowing through us right and it says bearing fruit each season in other words there's the fruit of the spirit is taking place we talked about that last week. There's the fruit of the Spirit that's taking place in our life. 
And it says, in, and they prosper in all they do. I think, you know, we often misunderstand what prosper means in God's terminology. We think prosper means, hey, I'm making a lot of money. Hey, prosper means that, you know, I've got a great retirement. I've got the big nest egg, you know what I'm saying? Or whatever. I've got the land or I've got all of the stuff that everybody else has got. But God says that prosper is something more than that. It's stuff that lasts for eternity. Think about for a second, what if, what if, you know, when we get to heaven, we get to meet the people that we've led to Christ? Man, that's a pretty rich reward. What if you lead your mom to Christ or your dad to Christ or your brother to Christ or your sister to Christ that's in your family or your best friend or your classmates or your, your coworkers? You have an opportunity to share the gospel with them and they pray to receive Christ. And what if, what if that God says, hey, listen, I just want you to look at all the people that you reached. And what if, the, you know, maybe God would allow us to see not only the ones that we led to Christ, but who they led to Christ. And we begin to go, you know, God, thank you. What a reward, right? That's prosperous to me. That, that's something that lasts for eternity. It's not something that rusts or that fades away. So the benefits of God's word in my life, and I love this, is security in times of uncertainty. I would say that we live in a time of uncertainty right now. And, and, but my thing is we need to be secure in who we are in Christ. Our, our identity is in Christ. It's who we are. You know, and it's not based on what the world is saying. I mean, the world don't even know what a man is or a woman is anymore. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we don't even know. Or they don't. But the thing is, is we've got to go, you know what? That, those are uncertain times. You know, we have leadership that people, I mean, I don't know if I trust them. Either one, it doesn't matter which side of the party you're on. I don't know if I really trust them. That would be uncertainty, but we can have, we can have certainty in times of, of uncertainty. We can be secure. We can be confident in who we are. We can know that, you know what? God is in control. God is over all things. He's even over politics. He's even over the media. He's even over the crazy folks that are out there. I'm just telling you, God is over all things. And so if I know that God's word is true, that I can have security, I can be confident in who I am in Christ, and I can walk in that authority day in, day out, no matter what I'm facing. And so we can have security in times of uncertainty. Fulfillment in an, area of empty, in an era of emptiness. I can feel fulfilled in what I do and who I am. In a, in a world that is filled with emptiness, where people feel like they don't have anything. There are people that have no value for life. Uh, just this morning I heard there was a shooting up in Dadeville and um, you know and there's just no value for the human life we got video games that teach kids that hey you know there's no real value on it's just a video game no real value on life uh, we, we watch sporting events you know where people see people are really trying to kill each other and we think hey listen you know man that's all good it's just sport but I'm just telling you what we do is we devalue life and God says that he loves life and so for us oftentimes we become you know maybe uh Maybe we just get to the point where it doesn't bother us anymore. It ought to bother us when someone dies, especially if we don't know where they're going to spend eternity. And, and so that we, we live in a, an era of emptiness. There are people that are just empty. They're, they feel void. They don't feel like nobody loves them. They don't feel like anybody cares. And so, you know what? I'm just going to go do something stupid, and, and maybe people at least acknowledge me then or something. And there's an emptiness. And here's the thing I love about God's Word. He does acknowledge me. He says, hey, listen, I love you with an everlasting love. I want a relationship with you. I'm willing to send my son to die for you. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to, be, I want you to go out and make a difference. I want you to share the love that I poured into you. I want you to share it with other people. And so, man, I don't walk through life empty. I walk through life blessed, fulfilled with joy. You know, and the fruits of the Spirit are in my life. I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness because of what God is doing in my life. It's what he's teaching me through his word. And so if I apply the word of God, I have that need met. 
productivity in a culture of activity. Everybody's busy, right? I mean, we're going, going, going. Everybody's, you know, busy doing this, busy doing that. And we talk about how busy our schedules are. And we keep putting one more thing on there. We keep putting one more thing on there. We keep putting one more thing on there. We don't prioritize hardly anymore. We just say we got to do it all or, or somebody's going to say something to us. You know, and we, 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 we just, we'll, we'll sacrifice the important for stuff that really won't matter in the grand scheme of things. And we stay really, really active, but there's not a whole lot of productivity in our lives. We stay busy working. We stay busy trying to do everything that our friends are doing, our neighbors are doing. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're involved in everything that we can be involved in. And we don't slow down. We don't rest well. We don't sleep well. But, man, we sure are active. And so I think there are times whenever we can be productive. And productive is maybe becoming a better person, a better leader, a better husband, a better wife, a better whatever it might be. You know, maybe it's to be a blessing to someone. I think productivity is uh, misunderstood sometimes. We just think, hey, if I'm active, I'm productive. That's not really true. We can be active and not gain any traction whatsoever. Direction in an age of aimlessness. God has a plan for my life. The, the, the Bible says that it is a, a light under my path and a lamp under my feet. That if I live according to God's word, he will guide me. He'll give me direction, right? In a, in a world that seems aimless, man. There, just, there seems to be no, no focus there. So I love this passage here. This is out of Matthew. It says, uh, and this is Jesus talking. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. The word of God. The full counsel of God's word. The whole word of God. Not just a few verses. But from beginning to end. Going, you know what? I believe the truth of God's word. So it's like building on a solid rock. And though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. It's built on the solid foundation of God's word. That's what Jesus said. Hey, listen, if you build your life on my teachings, I'm telling you, man, storms are going to come. That, 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 I'm not going to deny that, but you will stand firm. You'll be secure. You'll be confident. You'll be hopeful. You know, you, you won't have to worry. You won't have to stress over those things. You'll just meditate on my teachings over and over, day and night, and you'll be confident in that. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. There's plenty of foolish people out there. The Bible even says, you know, narrow is the path that leads to life, that leads to heaven. But broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many will choose that path. It says, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. It'll come down. They'll fall apart. And so what I would say is, do we really believe in God's word? Do we, do we apply it? Do we line up with it? Because you can't sit here and say that, well, I'm not sure if it's accurate. We already know that that's, that's been proven wrong by science, by data, by everything else. The question is, what are we going to do with it? So here's some next steps maybe today is we believe God's word. We know it to be accurate. We know it to be true. We know it to be, you know, uh, you know, historically accurate, manuscript-wise it's accurate. We know, you know, all that's intact. But what am I going to do with, with what I believe? Do I believe it? Do I line up with it? Do I follow it? That's what Jesus said. Hey, listen, if you do, you're building on a solid foundation. Do I read it? I mean, that's a simple question. Do, do I read God's Word or do I have it read to me or do I listen to it? Do I, you know, find time to be in God's Word more than just maybe on Sunday morning, but like daily I get a devotion or daily I read or listen to God's Word. And sometimes we have just enough that we go, you know what, I'm good. You know, uh, Jeremiah was talking about complacency last night. 
it's kind of like where we, we can be complacent where we're stagnant or stale, or we can be at a point where we think we're good. We got it figured out. So, you know, are you, are you complacent in your time in God's Word? Is it not important enough to you? Is everything else more important? Maybe work is more important. Maybe social media is more important. Maybe watching TV is more important. Maybe binging on Netflix is more important. Maybe, you know, what, doing, watching the kids do something is more important. They're important, but they're not more important than God. Maybe, hey, spending time with your spouse is more important. Maybe going to the lake is more important. What's, what's more important than the foundation of your life? Maybe we need to apply God's Word. Not just read it, not just hear it, but to apply it. To begin to live it out. To begin to let it change who we are and guide us. And then I love this last one. We memorize it. We memorize God's Word. Maybe you just take a verse this week or maybe even today and you say, you know what, I'm going to memorize one verse. And so the cool thing is, is when we are sharing our faith with somebody or we're doing something, oftentimes God will bring that passage back to mind. You don't even, I mean, you memorized it so long ago, you thought, hey man, I forgot that one. And then all of a sudden someone asks you a question and you're able to just, boom, you speak it out. And it's God is taking what you have hidden in your heart and he's using it. David said, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Whenever that temptation comes, you're able to quote scripture to the enemy. You're able to speak, uh, speak the truth of God's word over the lies that he, he's feeding you. So the question is, do you believe to the point of allowing the word of God to change how you live? See, only you and God know that. So what will you do with the word of God? Will you just say, hey, I believe it? I agree with it, but not do more than that. Jesus says, man, if you do more than that, you're building on a solid foundation. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're one of the skeptics here in the room, or maybe you're watching online, you've been a skeptic. Maybe today for the first time you go, you know what, there is, there is evidence the Bible's true. There is evidence that the Bible's accurate. There is evidence that it's the Word of God. There's proof. And all this time I've been trying to find some way to deny it, some way to write it off. But today you realize it's true and I need to change. Maybe you're here in the room, maybe you're watching online, you go, you know what? I want to put my faith in the Word of God. You know, in John it says, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So I want to put my faith in the Word of God. So that would be Jesus, who came to this world to pay for my sins, to pay for the sins of the world, to redeem that which was lost. To set the captives free, those who are bound up in addiction or whatever it might be, in lies, And just say, you know what? I choose right now to believe with all my heart in the Word of God, in the Son of God, in the promises of God. And so maybe for you, it's time to stop being a, a critic and base your decision on the facts and the faith that it takes to be saved. And it takes all the faith that you have.
so wherever you are, if you're watching online, if you're in the room, you just say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that no one gets to the Father except through you because that's what your word says. And so, Jesus, today I come to you with all the faith that I have. And I'm asking you to step into my life, to save me, to change me. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to repent. I want to turn to you. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I come to you. I give you my life. If you just prayed that prayer, man, I would love to know. We would love to know. We want to walk with you. We want to help you take next steps. Last week, we had over almost, almost 1,500 people here on campus. And there were 20-something people that went public with their decision through baptism. And there were 20-something, probably close to 20-something people that put their faith in Christ for salvation. So it's time for them to, put, to go public with their faith, right? So maybe today it's time for you to go public with yours. And so if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you're watching online, text my decision. Last week we had two people online that prayed to receive Christ. Somewhere, some, I don't know where, but they prayed to receive Christ somewhere. So what's keeping you from making that decision? Let today be the day of salvation for you. There are a lot of believers in this room. Is your life lined up with the Word of God? Or is it just a book you keep around the house? Is God calling you to do something different? Is He calling you to lay something down? Is He calling you to change your focus? In just a minute, worship team is going to sing a song. It's an opportunity to respond. There's something powerful about going to a set of steps that we, we call it an altar. And solidifying a decision. Maybe a change of direction. I want to encourage you to do whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to do today. Don't let the enemy talk you out of it. He would love for you to stay exactly where you are. I want to ask everybody to stand. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the Word of God. I thank you for the truth that it is. God, I thank you that you love us. You make that clear throughout your Word. God, I pray for any believer or uh, anybody that has put their faith in Christ today for salvation, God, that they would let us know that. But God, I pray for the believers in this room, that God, that we would adhere, we would build our life on your word. Father, move in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.